From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, and I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Hey, today we're going to speak with two special guests, one who's celebrated as a music legend in Mississippi and had a close relationship with B.B. King. Jesse Guitar Robinson joins us today, and later we'll speak with Mary Fortune. She's the executive vice president of the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi and a longtime diabetic. We'll share the foundation's great story and her amazing personal story as well. Our question of the day is this, where were you on September 11th. Call us today at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is Now You're Talking. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. It's a Monday. Hope you're having a great day. September 12th, the day after September 11th. The reason I bring that up is we have a really good question of the day, and I say good because it's tearing up social media right now. Where were you on September 11th? And so we'll have you call a little bit later in the show. Where were you? And I remember where I was. I was standing in my kitchen. My youngest son was, you know, he was actually my oldest son was about a year and a half old. My wife and I were bickering over something stupid. And I looked over at the television and there was the World Trade Center in flames. And of course, we both walked over and watched as the second plane flew into the tower. And of course, our world was changed forever. And I tell you what, um, at that moment, and I still remember this like it was yesterday, Frankly, I didn't know what kind of world I was raising my kid in. And I guess we know now because it's been 15 years later. We've got a couple great guests. And you probably might hear a little bit in the background there. We've got Jesse Guitar Robinson. He'll be joining us in here in just a couple minutes. An incredible blues legend, a great guitar player. I got to hear him the other night and uh, just was amazed. And I think you're going to feel the same way, too. Also, too, we got Mary Fortune on. And I don't know. You might know Mary. You might not. She's the executive vice president of the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi. She's also a longtime diabetic. And I tell you what, she does an awful lot to help a lot of people. And I'm looking forward to having her on. So she'll be on about the second half of the show. So anyway, great show today. Sam is driving the bus today instead of Sharita. Sharita's over in Dallas. She was doing a backup quarterback for Dak for the Cowboys, I think. (laughs) I'm not sure what she was doing. She she should have told Terrence Williams to get out of bounds. Uh, You know what? I I would have known to do that. I was like, that was kind of like, ugh. The, cheer, the, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were yelling at him to get out of bounds. I, I don't really know. He's the only person in the stadium that didn't know to get out of bounds. It was just a, a complete brain moment for him. So, I'm yeah. not sure. So, um, yeah, that was tough. Crazy, great, great debut, though, for, uh, for Dak. For great Dak game for Mississippi, good. too. The uh, Eli playing, of course. It was like the Dak. Egg Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. really was. Egg it was like the, it's like the Egg Bowl in a video game when you can get the best quarterback from each era yeah. and then put them together. Oh, I know. It was like a, exactly a time machine going yeah. there to have on that. But It was great. It was good. Of course, um, I went to Tennessee and they had the Battle of Bristol thing up there, which cracked me up because you had 150,000 people in the middle of a speedway and the field looked like a postage stamp in the middle of this thing. I'm like going, 
I, I was probably closer to the field here in Jackson. Yeah, that than... was that was well, that looked very wild on TV. I was in uh, uh, I was in Oxford at the Ole Miss game, uh, and my wife was in Starkville at the state game. But she's a big she's big in the NASCAR, so she was very upset she missed that. I think my wife had a very good point. She said they should have run a race during the football game. Oh man, that would have been just like America right there. Our that would have been, would have been not, difficult. It would have been a little bit tough to hear. <laughs> well, then there's that as well. So oh yeah, tough. Of course, yesterday was September 11th. I didn't watch as much stuff this year as I normally do just because I had just gone to the 9-11 museum this summer with my kids. I don't know if you've ever been to that. Every, I have not. I, I really think, would love to get there. I, I went to Ground Zero in 2002. Yeah, uh, I did too. I right did too when it was still smoldering. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty tough. And I tell you, anybody, if you, I think every American should make a pilgrimage to that museum because it is what it does is it takes the all the images that we've seen and it brings it down to a personal level. And my, that was the first time I think my kids ever saw me cry. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It, it really, it's really a... was. Um, it's tough. There was one thing I did watch, and I actually made the boys watch this. ESPN produced this. It was called The Man with the Red Bandana. It was on ESPN.com. Fantastic 11-minute film about a young a guy who was from upstate New York who his trademark was wearing a red bana- mm-hmm. bandana. Um, he was a trader in the World Trade Center, got down to like the 80th floor and helped all these people get down and ended up losing his life in the in the Trade Center. Yeah. Uh, Here and Now had a great uh, little blurb about that film with Tom Rinaldi last, uh, I think it was last Wednesday as they yeah. kind of went uh, the second hour of the program. Uh, Robin Young and those folks had a great interview with him about that. It's a, it's a pretty powerful story. My, <laughs> my wife um, DVR'd everything. That she could have possibly DVR'd yesterday. Oh, so wow. uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of TV watching to catch up on. You uh, know with that I, stuff. Yeah, she well, loves those uh, those documentaries and, and is fascinated by the by the whole uh, by by all of it. And it's I mean it's a it's something that I think people uh, I know some folks get tired of watching it. And uh, a, a mutual friend of you and I, Jenny Wilburn, was uh, yeah. uh, she was producer on e- on a CNN uh, the day of September 11th. She can't watch any of the stuff, but I think it's important for people to watch some of it to kind of jog your memory about how terrible how terrible of a day that was we well, you know it's really amazing you think about it i i've got three kids and my oldest is 16 now he has no memory of it so i mean how much of even even college freshmen now yeah. don't remember because they were three when, yeah. when it happened yeah. so know. you know there is a whole it's it's very important to keep that alive and to me you know you and i were both there in 2002 just to see it what it looks like now yeah. it's just amazing it's how, it really has they've they've done an amazing job i did go see Sully yesterday uh, how was that? It was actually good. Tom Hanks, number one, don't ever travel with Tom Hanks. That, have you seen that meme? That is thing? so it's funny. Real, <laughs> but you know, you think about it. I mean, I think Tom Hanks is catching a hard time here. Okay, you got Apollo thirteen. You got you know Castaway. You've got. Oh, I mean, just he always ends up in crashes. Oh yeah. But the thing is, he always comes out of it alive. So I want to sit next to him. Yeah. You know, go with that. him somewhere. And you know, the money pit, the, the the movie he did a long time ago with uh, yeah. Shelley Long. That, the house looks great. The house looks great. <laughs> he survived ba- his bachelor party. That, yeah. That's you know one of my favorite movies. So there you go. I think that won an Oscar. I'm not quite yeah. sure. So, but no, he always comes out alive, except for Philadelphia. He didn't do so well in that no. one. No, that was a pick on the chin in Philadelphia. But he got an Oscar for that, so it yeah. worked out okay for him on that. So it was a good movie. Highly recommend it. Uh, it's very short because I mean hmm. the flight was two minutes. So how do you make a movie out of a two minute flight? But, yeah. But they did it. The only people I think that really didn't come out of it alive were the geese. Yeah. So that didn't turn out so well. To And congratulations to uh, Miss Mississippi, Laura Lee Lewis, who's the fourth runner-up in Miss America. So that's I, not bad. I did not see any of that, Marshall. I totally forgot that that was even happening yesterday until I saw a tweet that 
such I think uh, someone from the University of Arkansas. Yeah, one. Yeah, and I'm mm-hmm. like, she did. I forgot. I totally, uh, I blanked on it. My wife said uh, I, she forgot to. So. Her name was Savvy. Yeah. I was yeah. like, wow, okay. So some, parent, some parent had a little foresight on that yeah. one. So there That's you perfect. Go. But, I, I, you know, Laura Lee Lewis, we need to get her on the show because she's just got a great story. She had some some surgery to correct some facial features and everything else, and it worked out okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously for her, but she, she got a really inspirational story, too. Yeah, so. she does. So I mean, congratulations. Of course, you know, Mississippi, we always do pretty well yeah. on that, just yeah. for obvious reasons. Look around. We have a lot of talent. Yeah. Let's right. put it that way. We have a <laughs> lot of talent. Speaking of talent. Sure. You can probably hear in the background there a little bit of uh, music going on. Can you hear it? Sounds good. It does. Yeah. That is, of course, the one and only Jesse Guitar Robinson is joining us today. I had the, the pleasure of actually getting to hear him Saturday night at the Symphony's Black Tie and Blues event that they had. He was playing. And I tell you what, I just sat there. And, of course, I was emceeing for the live auction. I wasn't doing the live auction. I just want to get that straight. But I was actually emceeing it. And he he did the set right before I started. And it was just like, wow, okay, I can't wait to have him on. Jesse, I'm going to have to get you a little closer to the mic. But here, let me get that mic over there for you. Okay. Oh, you got it. See, I got it. You know a little bit about microphones after many, many years of playing. Been around quite a few. A couple. A couple. Thank you for coming in today. Uh, thank you for having me here this morning. Yeah. We're just going to yeah. talk all day, I think. Yeah, yeah. great. It's Blue Monday. It's great. Yeah, let me get that mic up a little bit there. A little bit closer? Yeah, a little bit. There you go. Okay, I'll feel adjustments and we'll be all right. Yeah, no problem. It's, it's live radio. We're going to make that. it look look smooth. Yeah. I, I tell you what, um, you had an amazing career. A long one, a good one. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the younger days. What got you interested in music? Uh, talk about the younger days? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, thought, you're little. I you thought know. I was 22 years old now. Well, I mean, okay, so when you were six, all right. Okay, great. What a blessing. Yeah. Uh, the younger days, what we need to do about the, what we need to talk about the younger days. I had a, uh, 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 serious, uh, experiences in life. So what we need to talk about. What well, we can talk about, you, want, you can talk about the, you know, cause you and I were talking just a minute ago yeah. about the blues and their origins and everything else. And, you know, when you were growing up, what was it like? What, I mean, what got you interested in music? What got, what motivated you? What, what was your start? Well, first of all, my, um, uh, my father, uh, was a sanctified preacher, and Daddy played guitar. There was a guitar always around the house, and we always prayed. And we would sing every day and uh, say your prayers before you go to bed at night, and everybody was just glorifying. And what it really boils down to, the guitar was just like a piece of furniture. I don't know when I started playing, and I had a brother to play uh, that. And, uh, of course, you know, when your dad is a preacher and sanctified and um, filled with the Holy Ghost and all those great things that I think a person can really can strive in life with when you got these uh, components built into your soul. And um, he would, um, of course, you want your kids, you want to set role models for your kids. And most of them want our children to be uh, oh, 80% about what we done, you know. And he didn't want us playing blues. But blues was always around. Blues and golf is going to be here until the day we die. I mean, it's going to happen. <laughs> Some people can tell the story. If you don't have a blues story, don't worry about that. You know, if you if you a gospel, do your gospel. If you a jazz, do you bring it out in your jazz. Bring it out in music. Every Everybody's not a blues player. I hope everybody listened to the blues, but we got a lot of 
people out here very talented and they're a little crossed up about where, where they need to be in their, in the role. So when I came up, it was uh, in the, the times where uh, it was in the cotton fields and that, you know, which dad took us real well for that because he was always go out and lease or buy his land. So we, but we were still in the mix and everybody was, was, you know, singing and, and, and songs it's a healing and it's a, it's a conversation. It's a language. And we must speak it well because it's, it's true all over the world. And that's how I grew up. It's, it's trying to tell the story. I got a story that I need to tell. And, but if you don't have a blues story, I got a blues story, right? right. I see a lot of people that, that plays blues, uh, well, play at the blues, are playing the blues. And, and, and it just don't, some, what it doesn't uh, resonate real good to certain people because they don't have that real true blues story. Get the story right and then play about it. How did you go from just picking up the guitar and playing to ended up playing in front of people? Oh, well, I would, uh, I, first of all, I was playing in church behind my father with the choir. So, you know? yeah, so you were used yeah, to a crowd right like, from a little age, yeah. You know, you know. Lord, I want you to help me. Wild I run this race, all that good stuff yeah. like that, and, uh, and that's why I've been I've been playing before people all all the time, and I'm still shy. I'm still stay, yeah. I've noticed stay that about fright. you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, really, I'm real seriously, cool, you, know. you have stage fright. I, I think it is one of the things is I, I respect the music. Yeah. You know, it, I, I put music first. You know, and I'm just tailing in it. You know what I mean? I know right. quite a few people that plays and. Artists will have they put themselves for it. Sometimes you get a little confused, and I'm, I'm I'm laid back because there's so much more to learn. Yeah, whose style influenced you early on? Well, first of all, it was my dad and my brother, and um, and if we gonna go out on the other rim of life where you uh, you sing about how you live on the other end, because through the week we we sung and played the blues on Sunday, we did, we took the same guitar and just changed the words and went to church and did the gospel. So, you know, it's all in the lyrics. Yeah. But uh, let me see. I forgot the question you just asked. Oh, that's, I, I mean, get so deep in the question. I mean, who, who, who influenced <laughs> you? I mean, who was oh, okay, out there playing? Yeah, yeah, the influence was, you know, my father first. And then second of all, uh, I used to hear uh, the, the, the Muddy Waters. I used to hear the Elmo James. I used to hear the great B.B. King. Uh, all the music, the little Milton, I, I mean, just Johnny Lee hooking them. It was just uh, always, uh, it's so many of them out there. See, what happened is uh, the, most of them was playing the same same kind of style of music, but they had their signature. Right. That was the thing. So I can't really say who was the greatest one because there's so many guys, there's so much talent out here. So I try to grasp and just pick me some to fit what I, you know, great. Right, you to know. fit your story, definitely yeah. there. Yeah. You, like so many other people, at one point you decided to head to Chicago. What led you there? Oh, uh, the world. I mean, you know, you know, when you get 21 years old or 18 years old, you need to go out and explore. And I think... Um, I was a little ahead of my time around here in Jackson at the time. I came up on a great musician. I came up on a, a lot of great jazz musicians and also the uh, blues musician. I used to sit in and play Elmo James guitar when I was about 18 years old. He said, this boy going to be a guitar player one day. I'm still waiting on that day. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, 
it was time for me to go out and, and be grown. It's time for me to go out and explore. It's time for me to go out and hear the muddy waters. They was in Chicago. It was time for me to go catch the Kenny Burrell or the West Montgomery or uh, Jimmy Smith. And that's all the blues guys. I mean, that that scene back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, Chicago was just a universal, just me, all different genres of music. It was, it was great. You know, when you're sitting next to somebody like Buddy Guy or Junior Wells playing, was it ever intimidating? Uh, well, it's always intimidating because, you know, uh, uh, you can, you know, once you put yourself on the spot, you 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 can be you can be pushed back with somebody overwhelming you yeah. with all that great stuff that they know you know. But I just had enough nerve to uh, get a matter of fact. Uh, we played. I uh, just got through playing with Buddy on the stage and Bunny Ray down at the, uh, the jazz fest down in New Orleans, uh, just uh, in May. So uh, it was always it, it's the what I look at. Everybody has got a something to offer. And once they carve it out and get their signature, uh, they're very powerful. So I, yeah. I, I'm always humble to listen to what anybody got, as long as it's structured within in the structure that it needs to be in. It sounds almost like, and put it in art terms, almost like oil permeating to a canvas. I mean, yeah, yeah, just yeah. a little bit on there. Yeah, just different yeah. stroke here, different stroke there. At the end of the day, you got a beautiful painting. Yeah, you out know, of it. I kind of tickle around with the photographers myself. I love it. Yeah, yeah great. Definitely. I understand what you're saying. We're going to take a quick break. That voice you hear, of course, in the guitar is Jesse Guitar Robinson. He is with us. We're going to have another segment with him. And the question of the day is this Where were you on September 11th? You can give us a call at 877 MPB Ring. That's 877 672 764. We'll be back in just a minute. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Ah, Happy Monday. Hope you're having a great day. And we got a great show today going on. Jesse Guitar Robinson, you probably hear a little bit of him in the background. He's joining us right now, and we're going to have Mary Fortune on here in a few minutes. Of course, she's with the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi. And I tell you what, it's inspired a lot of people as well. Jesse, we've been talking a little bit about it. You, you you made your escape from Mississippi. You went to Chicago. You went up there and literally got a free education. Definitely so. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, because you can either go to school yeah. or you can go to the, the work on the streets and, and yes, play. Great. And I was already fully grown, so I had a good time. You did. Yeah. <laughs> I, we won't push that too far, but <laughs> but you did. You have, How yeah. long did you stay up in Chicago? I stayed there about seven years. Okay. Seven years. Did you get homesick, or what made you come back home? Uh, well, uh, you know, I was one of those... Um, uh, kids that uh, was very close to my mother and father. Yeah. And I just had all that love wrapped up in me. And they started getting older. You yeah. know, I could see, you know, getting older and time, the clock was ticking. So I wanted to be around them a little bit more. Where'd you, where were they living? Here in Jackson. Oh, here in Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, you played in the old Subway Lounge, and I, I wish I had been able to see that, because I've heard that was quite an experience. And that's a long story, but I'm going to see how short that way I can take it down to. Yeah, and 19, <laughs> well, before then, it was a jazz and kind of more of a jazz thing that Jimmy King had. And, and, and in 1986, uh, Jimmy and uh, his wife came to me and said, well, Jesse, you and Big Daddy 500 Pound Blues, if y'all would come down here and play and take the dough, you have a place to practice, you know what I mean? And so we figured it out. We talked about it. Steve Burks and all of us. So we went in. It was $2 on the door in 1986. And uh, we had Juju out there parking the cars because this was down in the ghetto where you was looking at it then. That's what they said. called the ghetto. And I'm kind of confused by the ghetto because I think the whole world is all <laughs> turned up and backwards, you know. But anyway, we took the dough at $2. 
two hours on the door, and uh, at the time we was playing, I had uh, Dully uh, with the House Rockers. We was playing together. We would open up shows together and do shows, go around and do little festivals together. So I brought Dully, introduced him to Jimmy King, and we took off, man, and we started playing there. And that was one of the most greatest things I think ever happened to Jackson, man, because it broke that racial barrier. It brought that's blacks right. and whites together, and they still talk about it. And that's the thing that we really need to do. We need to put on our shades and begin to be colorblind for a second and see what we see. It's beautiful. Yeah, definitely on that. And you, yeah. it, you're right, it did. It, yeah. it did. I remember yeah. reading about that, how it broke things down a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you're in your early 70s now. You're not You're not slowing down. In fact, you're speeding up on your performing. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, you got to respect the music itself. Exactly. Right. You know, you know, let the music shape you where you need to go. Yeah. You know, sometimes we want to run out here and say, you know, and do all the, the, the get in and everybody face on the Facebook. And so much of that. I make that music be your your, your working horse. You right. Know, you know, I'm still studying, still learning. Man. You're still learning. Now, yeah. what, yeah. what are you doing to, to learn? Well, you know, I'm, I'm studying. I mean, I got my books, I got my records, I got my CDs, I got, you know, I go online and computer. You know, I love computer, man. You know, old cat like me, I love it, man. I, I do everything on computer. It's surprising. But anyway, I'm just practicing and learning things, man, learning the the, uh, uh, the music, the, the real deception, the, the real music. I think every musician, if you claim to be a musician, you go make money. I think you need to know what you're doing. Well, you can repeat it, and once you repeat it, then you can start building off of it. You got a foundation, but we play licks all the time, you know. Now, what I played was a pentatonic, but it was a minor pentatonic, mm-hmm. and I, the last chord I played was a, was a nine, a, a dominant chord. You need to know that, and that way you can take it and do what you need to do. So that's what I'm studying. You know, I'm studying more than just a pentatonic. You know, it's kind of elementary to me. It sounds like you, you, you're kind of like a Picasso in a way. You knew the rules, but then yeah. you broke it. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But well, that's what rules rules are made exactly. for, right? Exactly. <laughs> be broken, right? Uh, yeah, unless it's your taxes. Okay, that, that'll then, get you in trouble. You know what? That way you get a lot of attention when you break a rule, right? That's a good. Just point. as long as you don't go to jail. But you, but you know, you talk about learning, and you talk about you know playing with Bonnie Raitt and being able. You yeah. play with new people all the time, and, yeah. you, and you pick up a little bit, like you said earlier. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. You had a really good relationship with BB King, didn't you? Uh yes, I did. We yeah. was we was we 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 became very good close. Uh. Friend, friends. I mean, he would. Uh, I would go and hear them play. I kind of ease in, and if he see me, he bust me out and get me up on the stage with him and uh, let me play. Ask me to play with him. You know, you just don't go ask BB. Can you sit in? Yeah, right. You don't do that. No. You know, you, raise your hand. You know, Mr. you do King. that. You going out? You can't get through the security to just get to him. Right. You know, but we was all friends. The, the band and everybody, and I knew a lot of guys in this band. We, you know, we just hung out, and I never thought, man, I would be. Get a call, man. Yeah, what was that like? Just uh, you know, one day your phone rang and you're like, yeah. what? Well, well, you know, it's been like, what, eight or nine months ago? Yeah. And I'm still not over it. I really can't explain. I'm still in shock. And tell, in sho- tell everybody what you're going to be doing because some people may not know. Okay, the thing is, BB, you know, everybody knows BB passed on. And the band decided they're going to keep his legacy going on. You know, as close as they possibly can up under that umbrella that he put out that was so big, right. you know. And, and uh, um, they they... Taking the band back on the road. Most of these, all these, everybody in the band and played with BB. Matter of fact, uh, Boogaloo's uh, uh, Jane Bolton, he's still there. He's the band director. And uh, Myron Johnson, which BB's personal 
uh, managing the whole bit. And so they decided they wanted to do the B.B. King blues thing back on the road. So uh, I, I can understand. They looked in the Delta, say, who was from the Delta? Say, we've got a lot of cats out here, you know, in line that can play and do the whole bit. We want to try to keep it real. This is what I'm getting. Let's go back and find somebody from the Delta. And you know what's shocking? I am the last one. You're the last one. I'm the last one. And then they call me, you know, and ask me what I did. And I'm still shocked. And I, 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 I'm very honored. And I, I, I feel blessed. And it's just great to, to be in that situation, man. I mean, it's there. I, I mean, it's on. And we're doing, uh, uh, what's that, Austin City Limit uh, next month, I think on the 13th or the 14th. That's going to be yeah, so much you, fun because yeah, that's such a great yeah, show. And yeah. you're going to get all, like, the whole world's going to be seen. Well, it. yeah, great, great, great. And, and uh, uh, I'm not scared, I can tell you that. Well, I'm, no, I, yeah, I, I, I feel about good you. about it. Yeah. Just just a little nervous. Make sure you dot all your eyes when you're doing what you do. You understand? Right. Make sure, and you know, because... You know, he's got some bad cats out there. You know, they can, they can play, man. Well, let me ask you this, because, I mean, you have got a very distinct sound. And, you know, B.B. had a sound. And, I mean, I can hear a lot of similarities. But how tough is that to get in there and suddenly you're playing his his role? Well, 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 let me let me let me expound on that. Yeah. His, uh, that would be now there will be nobody to really play his role. But I know where you're going with yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, you, no, you know, you're playing you, songs, you play, so. play his songs. OK, because, yeah. see, uh, 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 the thing is what you what. I do. I already had so much love. I lived it out of these songs. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, I, I know these songs pretty well. I just had to go back and detail them. Yeah. You follow me? And that the band is there. My thing is, what I see, as long as I get there, be there and stay within that realm, there's a lot of other room for, uh, you know, excitement and, and doing things up on the mind uh, the way I see it. You know what I mean? And it's... Um, it's, it's wide open long you stay within that realm. You know, it's, and you're going to be touring with them, right? Yes, okay, sir. So, I mean, yeah. how, how many are you going over to Europe and so forth? Any place they go, I want okay. to be right there with them. Oh, how much fun is that? Yes. Okay. And hopefully I can hold that front line out. I'm going to have some fun. I think you got it. I think you got it. I, I have complete faith in you, believe me. Let's talk real quick. I really want to get you to play a song. Are you okay with that in a minute? Oh, let's see. It's early in the morning, and uh, I don't have a band here with me. Okay. Uh, just a little something uh, quick. I, I just play a few notes on the guitar. Well, okay, good. Okay. okay, all right. Stray star, I still can't guide myself by you, baby. When I gave. Into the sky Oh, I see you In many, many, many places When I turn to the fire Who you are Which one of the lights are from you. Help me. I can't live without you, baby. If you won't show me the direction. Oh, I. Oh, I. I, I 
will be alone. That's Jesse Robinson right there. Incredible, incredible. That studio audience is going wild. Incredible. Oh, wow. Early in the morning, Monday morning. I'm holding an album, Stay Star. Tell Thank us you. a little bit about that. It's got a really good SPAC story to it. Oh, uh, yes. That was a project came out of uh, Brazil about four years ago. I had a chance to go in Brazil, live it on the, um, the girl from Ipanema on the beach over there and met quite a few beautiful beautiful people over there. You've lived a very rough life, yeah, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> beautiful people. And uh, this project was a great project. That's that's probably my third CD. And i love for you all to go out and pick it up uh, online. It's called Jesse Robinson's Stray Star. Mm-hmm. And um, believe it or not, we got um, uh, 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 one of the some of the greatest uh, gospel uh, singers on it. The William Brothers uh, asked to be on it, and uh, we cut a deal with them. And they're on the first song with me, and it uh, it beca- it's called uh, "Chasing the Wind." Uh, uh, you know, and I, I arranged everything. So take a listen to it. I think it's a song out of ten on there. Is you gonna like one of those songs? Do you hear me, y'all? Go get it. <laughs> you know, you were recently up at Mississippi Valley State. They had a great blues symposium up there. You were part of it. Talk about that, because how important is that for you to get out there and tell the story? Story to help bring up the next generation. You know, it's always uh, uh, it's kind of uh, interesting to see that how many people, young people, and uh, middle-aged people really don't know are uh, uh, what the blues and where it came from in the history of it. I mean, they look at you and actually say, "What is the blues?" You know, and that's kind of disturbing to the point that you would have to go in and detail and tell people what the blues is, that's kind of hard to do. But once they sit there and learn it, it seems, I mean, you tell them, it seems they never, nobody never told them about the blues. And they, and some of them really like blues music. Uh, uh, it's a story that's being told. And we got blues today that we need, somebody need to write a song. Come on, come on, musicians. Okay, all you bad guitar players out there, come on with a song. Now, you playing, you play good. Where is that song? We know you are great, super musician. Get somebody to write a song. Don't try to do it all by yourself. Let the song come in. A lot of times songs come in from different people. Just open yourself up as an artist and be there artistic. Well, let people come in and help you to craft your art. You know, we need a song. So this is the kind of thing that I try to tell uh, when I'm when I'm speaking with a class or what have you. You're trying to show them that and to, to how to frame their mind to understand that kind of music. Jesse, I appreciate you taking time sure. out this morning and coming out and hanging sure. out with us. Thank you. This Thank has you. been fantastic. And yeah. where can folks find out more about you? you, you the uh, website and all that good stuff? Uh, yes. Just look up Google Jesse Robinson. There's so much out there on me. I, I don't. If I said one, I, I, I might mess up. That. Just Google Jesse Guitar Robinson, Jackson, Mississippi. That's just a sign that you've had yeah. an amazing career. Just say Google me. Yeah, Google me. Google me. Yeah, Google me. Yeah, Google Jesse, Google thank me. you so much. I appreciate sure. it. Sure. All right. <laughs> Coming up next, we got Mary Fortune. Now, she's got a great story. Of course, she's with the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi, and she's a longtime diabetic, but she helps a lot of folks, and I think you're going to love it. Question of the day is this. Where were you on September 11th? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Well, 
Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, on a very, very nice Monday. I hope you're having a great day. You know what? We're going to make it great because that's what we do here. And I tell you, I appreciate Jesse Robinson coming in. <sighs> tell you, September 12th, day after September 11th. And I know a lot of people are still kind of talking about because 15th anniversary. And I know whenever it gets to be a number like that, you kind of really look back. Um, there was a lot of discussion yesterday about where you were when you found out and when you saw what was happening when September 11th happened. And, of course, that is our question today. Where were you on September 11th? Um, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. Our next guest is somebody that I've had a chance to work with some over the last few years, and I've been very impressed with her passion uh, toward finding a cure, but also helping people with diabetes. And, of course, Mary Fortune's on with us. With the, She's with the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi, but she's also an awesome person. Mary, thanks for being on with me today. Gosh, thanks, Marsha, for having me. I appreciate it. You know, this is something that... You know, people hear about diabetes. Of course, in Mississippi, we've got an incredibly astronomical rate of, of people with diabetes, and I think that's been well documented. But you've this is not just something that's a job for you. This is a passion because you yourself are a diabetic, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah, well, talk about that. How did you find out, and how long have you had the disease? I hate to tell you, I've had type 1 diabetes for 49 years now. 49 years, and you're not only um, surviving, you're thriving. Absolutely. Yeah, and Absolutely. so that right there in itself is pretty impressive. So you were very young when you when you got the disease. And um, that, that was tough because back then I don't think people really knew much about it, did they? They did not. No, uh, it was 1967 when I was diagnosed. Yeah. Uh, I had had a virus. And as we know now, some viruses can damage the beta cells of the pancreas right. in people with type 1. So I'd uh, kind of been laying around and drinking a lot of fluids, although the fluids I was drinking were orange juice and Coca-Colas. Right. Because I was very thirsty. So lots of sugar. Lots of sugar. And then, of course, five minutes later, I'd be in the bathroom. Yeah. So my mom said, well, I know you have a virus, but there's just this just isn't right. And I think we're going to take you to the – it was a, a weekend. She said, yeah. I think we'll take you to the emergency room. And it was a, uh, a military hospital. And we went in the military hospital, and they said, oh – you're a hysterical mother. Really? You know, there's nothing wrong with your child. She has a virus. And they said, but what, you know, basically to pacify you, we'll just do a urine test. And they did. And they came back out and they said, we think we're going to draw a blood test. And after that, they came back out and said, your daughter has diabetes. Wow. So, you know, a lot of parents right now are listening and have been through this. They get that diagnosis and it's like, okay, now what's next? I mean, what was, and with y'all, I mean, there was no internet. There was no, you couldn't Google it. How did you, uh, suddenly you realize your life was just changed right then? Well, I wasn't really sure what had happened in my life. They did hospitalize me for uh, several days. Yeah. Uh, when you're usually diagnosed with diabetes type 1 in the beginning, your body has what they call the honeymoon, which means your insulin is still producing some insulin. Yeah. So they had given me some insulin, but by the time of discharge, uh, my blood sugars had come back to normal, so they put me on an old drug that was used for people with type 2 diabetes. Really? And at that point in time, uh, since my father was in the Air Force, we were leaving the next day, moving to Southern California from Virginia. So we got to California, and everything seemed okay. I knew nothing. I still knew nothing. Right. My father swore that I didn't have diabetes. And uh, he'd bring home these great coconut cakes almost, you know, <laughs> once a week for us to eat. 
so it didn't it didn't flash up again until flare up again till um, I had tonsillitis and any infection raises your blood sugar. Yeah. So I went from taking no insulin to starting out with like sixty units. Oh wow! But back then there was no education. Yeah. We didn't know what to do. Uh, I was taking exams at one point in time and. I knew I was supposed to take the insulin, but I didn't know I was supposed to eat. So consequently, I was uh, passing out at the wheel on Pacific Coast Highway. Which, uh, if anybody's ever been on Pacific Coast Highway, know that's, that can be incredibly fatal very quickly. Yeah, so I, I ran into a grocery store at that time. Not for, literally. Yes, literally. I, oh, yeah. well, I, I got out of the car and ran yeah, in because okay. I, I knew I felt, you know, really low, right. like low blood sugar. Um, and I said, I have diabetes and I have, I'm having low blood sugar. And I said, I just need some candy. Of course, back then we thought candy. Uh, now yeah. we say juice. But And they said, what kind would you want? <laughs> and I always look back and think how funny that was. I said, I don't care. Just give me anything. <laughs> give me a Snickers or something <laughs> Give now. me anything. But I, I think through that experience, Marshall, that's my passion. Yeah. Because without education and knowing how to live with diabetes, um, it's very difficult. It's difficult at best when you are educated about it. But being a, a young teen right. and family knowing nothing uh, was very, very challenging. Well, you, you've gotten involved, and, of course, you're with the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi. And one of the things that I really am impressed about the foundation is it's not just an organization where you take money and send it on to a researcher, although that's a very, obviously a very important part of this whole equation. But you all spend most of your time actually helping people in need and the education component. That's a very big part of what you do, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. We help people every day. Matter of fact, a lot of our day, you know, can can be several hours with several of us fielding phone calls from people that just don't know where to turn. Right. And they turn to us and and we do provide that the help they need. Education, as I said, is the key. We try to empower families and the children and people with type one and type two. Uh, let's let's jump in real quick okay. on that because I think a lot of people when they hear type one, type two, they don't know what that means. What's the difference between the two? Well, type one uh, folks have an, have had an autoimmune attack on the beta cells of the pancreas, which are what produce which what produce insulin, right? And therefore, whether it's immediately they start losing that beta cell function and they're not producing insulin. And right. insulin is the key to and getting that's not reversible, correct? energy into the cells. No, right. no, okay. it's, it's not reversible. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a lifelong commitment. Exactly. Uh, whereas type 2, they really don't know what causes type 2, but we do know uh, certain ethnicities are affected, uh, Native Americans, African Americans, and Hispanic Americans are more likely to have type 2 diabetes. We also know that people that are sedentary and overweight are more likely to have type 2 diabetes. So not knowing the cause, but knowing what can help is a a big thing. So if you're borderline type 2, then you know, well, maybe I can exercise, eat correctly, lose some weight, and that would probably help you, correct? It will help them, yes, immensely. And sometimes they do require medications as well. Yeah. And there is a new theory out if they would go on the low-carb diet for weight loss. Which makes sense, technically, yeah. And and, and, and stay on it, um, you know, they can take care of their type 2 diabetes. Talk a little bit about the the foundation, because it's got a great story, um, because y'all don't ship your money off somewhere else. That money all stays here in Mississippi. Talk about the history of the foundation and how you got involved with it. 
Well, I actually was hired back when we were the American Diabetes Association, I uh, hate to tell you, back in 1983. Okay. <laughs> I, I've been here a long time, <clears throat> I just because of my, my commitment to the cause and the people that we serve. Uh, in 1998, uh, the ADA and many large national organizations were merging into single corporations and wanted our Mississippi charter and our assets. And we said, well, if we give you our charter and our assets, which essentially puts us out of business, what are we going to get from the national organization to help people here in our state? And the answer was nothing. And uh, so Nothing's we, not good. Nothing was not good because right. diabetes is an expensive disease. Yes. And people that need help that don't have money uh, are going to have, you know, reap in the long run the complications of diabetes. Right. Which, which are not good either. Um, so anyway, they, they sued us, and we won here in federal court, and we changed our name to the Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi. So actually, we've been serving Mississippi for probably over 50 years, uh, but about 20 years under our new name with Diabetes Foundation of Mississippi, where every dollar we raise stays here in our state to actually help our people here with managing their diabetes. Yeah, you talk about managing diabetes, and of course, uh, you know, and I've had so many friends that have had children with it. I've had friends that have it. They've got the pump. They've got the different various sundry things. One of the things that I've heard a lot of my friends talk about is how incredibly expensive insulin is getting. That's a problem, isn't it? It's a huge problem. Yeah. Yes. I think we've all just recently, if you've seen the petition going around signing the petition to try to have the drug companies regulated in terms of controlling the price of insulin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you need something to stay alive, it's kind of important to be able to afford it, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Similar to the other recent injection we were talking about of the yeah. the uh, Epi. Ep- EpiPens, yeah. right? Uh, so in the nineties, the, the vial of insulin was forty five dollars, and now that vial of insulin today is over three hundred dollars. Wow! Because I mean, it's, now I have to tell my route in through helping with diabetes kind of came strangely because my dog got it. So and he became and that's what brought us together. Yeah, kind of, kind of became semi-famous <laughs> yeah. at that point because a lot of kids they would hear his story and they would come up and pet him and say, "I'm going to be just like him" and everything else. But I remember it being seventy-two dollars then, so it's up to three hundred now. Three hundred and the and the pens, which are more convenient for people to use, yeah. are, are five hundred for a box of pens. And, and how know, long does that last? Well, I was going to say some people could go through three vials of insulin a month. What's uh, you know nine hundred dollars? And with the pens, if they use two boxes, that's a thousand dollars. Yeah. So it is. It's very expensive does, to maintain. And does insurance cover that and so forth? Or some do. Okay. Uh, but there are so many people that are either if they're um, Medicare age, um, they've hit their quote unquote the donut hole. Yeah. They can't afford it. Uh, Medicaid, I think, does help if the children are on it. But some people are just caught in the middle. Yeah. And that's kind of what y'all are doing. Now, one of the things you've got coming up, you do walks all across the state of Mississippi to help raise funds to do just that, to educate, to help people. You've had people call you like in the middle of the night needing insulin, and you guys have gotten made that happen. I mean, that's, some of the stories are incredible. They are, and we see them every day. It's, yeah. it's a, we helped a, a family out um, a Sunday a week ago. We met them at the office because they needed a sensor for their continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. And we ended up making that happen as well. And we make it happen for so many people, and we're so happy to do it. Where are the, where are the walks at? Oh, gosh, I should have brought my list. Uh, Oxford, Columbus, Jackson, Meridian, Hattiesburg, Macomb, and the Gulf Coast. I think I did pretty well. You did pretty well, yeah. yeah that's that's good. Head. So people can go to y'all's website to find out more details, correct? They can. And that is? They can. 
www.msdiabetes.org. But I wanted to, do I have time to say one more thing? about? Yeah, sure, you uh, got time to say okay, one more thing. Okay, our program called Never Too Young. Yeah. This, this emanated, and the reason it's so fascinating about being an independent organization, when there's a problem, we can address it and actually create a program to take care of it. But mm-hmm. we had a, a family that had a 18-month-old child, kept going to the pediatrician. Pediatrician kept saying the child has the flu, but the child wasn't getting better. Ultimately, the child got to the emergency room where the child was diagnosed as having type 1 diabetes and probably got there just in the nick of time before the child actually probably went into a coma because high blood sugar will put you into Mm -hmm. diabetic ketoacidosis. From that, we created a program called You're Never Too Young. So it's to let people, particularly health professionals, know statewide that no one's ever too young to be diagnosed with diabetes. And particularly during flu season coming up, they're going to see more of the flu, but that flu also could be diabetes. Wow. Wow, that's great. Mary, I just want to say thank you for coming on today, and thank you for all that you're doing to help folks in here in Mississippi. Marshall, it's our privilege, and I want to thank you for being one of our honorary chairs for Mississippi's Walk for Diabetes and doing the artwork for our T-shirt. Well, you know, that's how I keep banjo going. The I old know, dogs, I uh, know. Little banjo. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we have a question of the day. Is this, where were you on September 11th? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I want to thank Mary Fortune for being on. One of the things, too, that the Diabetes Foundation Mississippi does, they have a camp called Camp Can Do. And not only is it really good for the kids because they learn how to manage diabetes and how to, to work with their disease, it's also good for the parents, but it kind of provides a support group and they have a lot of fun and they get to be kids. And I think that's uh, an awesome program. All right, question of the day is this. Where were you on September 11th? Uh, we've got some great Facebook and Twitter questions, but we also have Anna from Hazelhurst on. Anna, where were you on September 11th? Anna? Are you talking to me? Of course I'm talking to you. I'm so glad okay. you called. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was the postmaster at Hazelhurst, and we were busy working getting the mail to go out. The phone rang, and it was my mother, and she said, have you got the TV on? I said, no. She said, turn it on, and from then, we were spellbound. And I remember something from that day that I never hear mentioned, and that is we were so terrified because they kept saying there's a bomb at the Supreme Court that, you know, yeah. it was going like we didn't know what was happening. It was just like, well, how could this happen? You know, and so the rest of the day was just like a blur because everybody was just in shock over how could this something happen? Well, I know anyway, that you and the post office uh, world got hit with anthrax, too. So that made your life a little bit more complicated, too. <laughs> Well, we're such a small town, it didn't really affect us. <laughs> oh, you're but saying, we did get questions about it. I, I could imagine. Are you So you're telling me that Hazelhurst wasn't like a, a major um, 
threat or anything I at that point. I'm saying, yeah, we were relatively safe. In my whole career, I had one letter left in the office one night that said there's a bomb here. Well, of course, it was a hoax, you know, but we had to go through the whole nine yards. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I, th- I appreciate you listening, but thank you for calling, too. Well, thank you for your program and That's, for remembering. Oh, bye-bye. great. Okay, bye-bye. We got Hannah and Mobile. Hello, Hannah. How are you? And where were you on 9-11? Hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Okay. Well, uh, I was in Alabama. Mobile, of course. I was in Alabama for five years, but I had left New York, and uh, I had worked down there so many years. And when I got the call from my daughter, I crossed the river in Brooklyn, and she says, Dad... There's flesh and there's paper and smoke all over the place. That was in Brooklyn. Yeah. And I'm looking. I, I mean, I just started crying because I knew that uh, it was terrible. My son-in-law had called his wife in New Jersey and said he was in lockdown, uh, just a block down from there, and he was looking at people fought, jumping out windows, and uh, it was terrible. It was just something terrible. And I feel like I want to go back up there because they it didn't hit the public uh, news uh, right away, but it was a subway that was blocked. And I worked on that subway, and I worked at the station, and I knew a lot of different tunnels that uh, was blocked off. And I said, I need to go, I need to go. And my wife said, don't you go back up there, don't go back up there. So I didn't go. But I finally, finally went back up there, and they, they, it took five years to open that the subway line back up. But it touched my heart. And every year on the memorial of that, it, it touches me so much. When I go back up there to visit, I have to go down there because that's like home. But this is my real home, of course. But uh, Well, we're, yeah. we're up against the clock, but I thank you so much for your call because and, and that was really moving, and I appreciate you listening, too. Thank you, sir. All right. Okay, great show today. I want to thank Jesse Guitar Robinson for joining us and, of course, Mary Fortune. I think we had a great show. And I want to thank Sam for driving things today. Oh, yeah, man. We, we missed Sharita, but uh, eh, well, I, you know, we got uh, we got a feeling when she's going. Well, we don't talk bad about her because she's probably listening. I yeah. don't, I don't oh, wanna, she's definitely listening. And I don't want to make her mad. <laughs> I've discovered that. No, but, no, no, no. But anyway, no, it's great. Thanks for listening. Southern Remedy is coming up next, and we will see you next week. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.